War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, as we've said from the beginning, there's certain first, not just principles, but first events that you have to get to the bottom of. And you have to find out how they happen, why they happen, who's responsible, how you help help people accountable, who's to be held accountable. And in that accountability and responsibility, where do we go from there? And where do we take this republic? And in taking this republic, take the world. And we have said from day one when we started the show, we're in pandemic in what, January 20th of 2020, when we were months ahead of anybody else on this and told you exactly what was going to happen, right? The reason all the hedge funds of the world, the, the big ones, have the junior people uh, watch this show constantly is because how we talk about things and connect geopolitics and economics and capital markets together. So, so the Wuhan virus, the CCP virus, right, uh, was absolutely essential from Wuhan. We said we got to get to the bottom of that, and we are getting to the bottom of it. We hammered every day. The other was 3 November. You got to get to the bottom of 3 November. You can't give happy talk about, oh, I'm going to put in new laws. We'll get them next time. It's all about 2020. The election is about the future. Well, the future is inextricably related and connected and driven by the past, okay? For anybody who's not just a moron giving you happy talk, you've got to get to the bottom of 3 November. And in doing so, we will hold people accountable. But getting to the bottom of 3 November, you get 95% participation by citizens, by MAGA, in the Virginia and the Commonwealth of Virginia's election for Yunkin. 95% participation as precinct, uh, as, uh, as uh, uh, election officials in the room counting, 95%. And poll watches, but not simply poll watches, in the room where the count's done, 95% participation. Normally in a presidential year, it's in the 30s. Non-presidential year, it's in the 20s, 95%. Okay? The other one, we added this a few months ago. So the third one, we got to get to the bottom of... 6th January. And why did we say that? The reporting of, uh, you know, it was Darren Beatty and it was Raheem Ghassam and you had National uh, a Pulse and you had Revolver and doing amazing. But but the tip of the spear, the, the pick and shovel work on this has been done by uh, Julie Kelly over at American Greatness. It's been extraordinary. So I wanted to do a special to kind of lay out because I think it kind of gets lost in, in, in translation sometimes or certainly the scale of it. And what we're talking about certainly gets lost, in particular with these new books coming out, and it's kind of confusing some of these books. So I want to go back just to first things, which we always think is best, and set up, you know, what was the critical path? What was the event horizon? What actually, what's the difference process and event? And, and, and give those intellectual constructs and building blocks that then the, gives a framework that, the, uh, that the, 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 the audience can then start to think about things and get a mental map. And then other information comes in and said, yeah, I can connect that. So the audience does the work itself. And what does that lead to? It leads to agency. And what does agency leads to? Agency leads to action. And what does action lead to? Action leads to change. And what is change or victories? And victories leads to change. So it's, it's a process. It's a spectrum. So we asked Julie Kelly to come on here. Julie, and by the way, tell me when we got that clip of Sherwin. If you got one you want to play, just take your time. It's a good clip. Julie, I want to introduce you. You're over to American Greatness. What? Why Julie Kelly? Why are you on this so maniacally doing all this reporting? And it's just amazing. But we've known you for a while. And I go, man, Julie Kelly's all over this thing. <laughs> what? Was it the story was so big and nobody was covering it? Was it? Was it? Was it some a spiritual reason? Why? Before we get to the details, why was it you? And why did you drill down on this so so deeply? 
I ask myself that several times a day. What <laughs> what did I do to deserve this? Um, so I really think my initial reaction to what was happening on the ground that day was far removed from the consensus. I thought it was ridiculous to to describe it as an insurrection or even an act of war, compare it to all of the hyperbolic terms that the media and Democrats and a lot of Republicans did right away. And um, so I think that that was the start of it. My view of what happened on January 6th was far different. I also thought, well, of course, after a year of lockdowns of you know violent looting and rioting throughout the country and a stolen election, you know, you're going to have some ticked off Americans. And so can the U.S. Capitol building tolerate, you know, people acting up, maybe a few broken windows over livelihoods stolen, elections stolen, our children's futures irrevocably uh, changed because of these horrific lockdown policies? So I think just initially see my view is different. But what really struck me was watching what the government was doing. Biden's just at well, incoming Justice Department, um, arresting people for low level crimes and then hearing what judges were saying in court to justify keeping people behind bars, people even accused of no violent crime and using their political protest and their views about the 2020 election as the reason for denying them bail. So from there, that really happened in February, was my first piece about political prisoners. I opened up a PACER account. I feel like I should have an honorary law degree from uh, Insurrection University. And I just really taught myself um, how to look at dockets and how to read court filings and how to follow along. I listened to a lot of the court hearings. And so that's really what happened. So yes, it is a professional mission, but it also has become highly personal to me as I've gotten to know so many of the people who have caught up in this abusive investigation, and especially the detainees who are being held, denied bail repeatedly, awaiting trials that won't even take place until early and middle of next year. Okay, so I just want to get, we're going to walk through some time frame, because I want to make sure people understand and get the the scale of this. But you're not a you're not a uh, a denier. Th- things happen on on uh, on Jan- on six January, and some of those maybe did cross a line. And obviously, yeah. th- there's there's legal precedent, et cetera. And that's all got to be that's all part of the American process, right? You you you, right. you get into the legal process, you get in the legal process. So you're not a denier. I just want to get down to the table. You're, you you are, you right. you think it was overblown. You think it's spun a different way, particularly with the Republicans all in meltdown around the time. But you're you're not. I just want to make sure we understand because the media is going to be all over this one. You know, Julie Kelly's a wing nut. And, and and she's an insurrection cheerleader, right? You're you're not a you're not a denier that 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 events happen on six January and we have to address those events, correct? Absolutely. And I say in my writings okay. repeatedly that there are people who acted criminally and should be uh, should be handled and charged that way. So no, I'm not a denier that bad things yeah. happen. And, and, and we'll get to that in a due process and, and the American way right. of justice and all that, or what, what the American way of justice has always held itself up to be. Um, and particularly when you look at vis-a-vis the, the anarchist and the, and the destroyers of this nation in the summer right. of 2020. Okay. Uh, t- but let's go walk people just through the events of that day, if you can, just a timeline. Cause I, I, I think most of the audience kind of saw it, but I'm not so sure people actually know the timeline of President Trump and, and kind of what happened. So you can just walk us through in your mind before we talk about the arrest and, and everything like that, just what happened? 
So as you know, Steve, this was technically the third Stop the Steal rally. There was one held in D.C. in November, one in December, and then, of course, January 6th. So this was when Congress was convening in a joint session at one o'clock that day to officially certify the results of the Electoral College. This was something that the president was trying to halt or to involve Mike Pence somehow uh, to stop that certification. But you also had Republican lawmakers, House members and senators who were going to object to the outcome in certain states and call for a 10-day audit of election results. So you had, I believe, 10 U.S. senators, Ted Cruz was among them, Josh Hawley, and I think over 100 House members. So this was going to be quite a unique day in terms of what had happened, what's happened before, because you need a senator and a House member both to object to the results. They then go to their respective chambers, there is debate, and then there's the vote. So that was going to happen that day. People started arriving in D.C. on January fourth and fifth. Uh, I, I just want to hang on. I just, I just, I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure we make a fine point here, a, a, a major point of distinction um, or difference, I guess it is. The congressmen and senators that said they wanted to have a, you know, they put in that we got to discuss this. It's two hours per state, right? You get a senator, you get That's a congressman. Right. Two hours per state. Two hours per yeah. state. And I think there were six states. It's mm-hmm. Two hours per state per chamber. So there's going to be 24, 12 hours per chamber, right? 24 hours of live. It would be television. There would be a huge thing going through. Now, the reality is that's not going to change one. That's not going to change one vote in the House, right, or in the Senate. Things just move on afterwards, and, and it moves on. So that's not going to change anybody's mind. That's going to be certified. In, a, in addition, there was state legislators particularly led by Corman of Pennsylvania, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, sent letters that sent letters to uh, Mitch McConnell at the time, the majority leader, and Mike Pence as the, as the president of the Senate, saying there had been issues in our states about the certification of these electors, and we would like you to uh, send those, just send it back to us, not flip it to Trump, just send it back to us, and we need to review it for 10 days. We will get back to you today's the 6th or the 6th is when you meet. We will get back to you no later than the 16th. And that's a separate thing. And and that's kind of reverting it back to the state legislatures. And so those two things were, you know, you had these state legislatures set these letters and it was up in the air what was going to happen. But then you already had locked in the two 12-hour, the two 12-hour sessions that were going to go late into the night. So I just want to set the stage. There are two different things. And, of course, Pence, when his letter comes out, completely rejected the thesis of John Eastman and others, right? That that's not – I don't buy that. I don't buy that, and we're just going to open the envelopes. Julie Kelly. So, um, as I said, people started arriving on the the 5th. There were uh, a few rallies, a few scuffles on the 5th between Trump uh, supporters and some Antifa, BLM. Nothing major, but nothing like – that had happened in November and December, as you recall, Trump supporters being attacked, physically attacked as they were leaving rallies in November and December by left-wing activists. So at any rate, um, the, the, pres- the, uh, the uh, presentation or, or the, the speeches began, I believe around nine or I think around nine or 10 o'clock that morning at the Ellipse and featured several Republican congressmen. Ken Paxton spoke, Donald uh, Trump Jr. spoke, Eric and Laura Trump spoke. And then the president took the stage around noon. 
And uh, of course, DC is just flooded with. By, by the way, by the way, hold, hold, I just hang on, hang on, hang on. I just want to make sure people understand the time. He was supposed to take the stage at eleven, so he's Correct. one hour late. An hour late. It, it, he's an hour late, right? And then he commences a talk that's an hour and 20 minutes long is that correct 10 minutes uh he ended around 110 110 so his, his and his i would say julie and it, it we got a break here for a second but i would argue that it is not this is not trump's typical rally speech it's very cold it's very windy and trump really gives yes. a tightly argued almost legal briefing right what why the electors should be passed back to the state legislatures correct is that is that your interpretation of his speech he did some of it. I mean, most of his fire was aimed at uh, Vice President Pence and Mitch McConnell as well. But yes, they did walk through that. Rudy Giuliani spoke. John Eastman spoke. So yes, yeah. they were going through some of the Let's, legal arguments. We'll, we'll, we'll take a quick break. We'll get back with Julie Kelly's critical path here on 6 January next. We're looking at significant felony cases tied to sedition and conspiracy. Just yesterday, our office organized a strike force of very senior national security prosecutors and public corruption prosecutors. Their only marching orders from me are to build seditious and conspiracy charges related to the most heinous acts that occurred in the Capitol. And these are significant charges that have felonies with uh, prison terms of tw up to 20 years. Okay, welcome back. Uh it's our uh, it's a special on Saturday. It's for December, Saturday, the year of 2021. We talk a lot here about human agency and human action and how one person can make a massive difference. Well, in this entire situation on 6 January, you just saw there Mike Sherwin, who was the U.S. attorney for under President Trump for D.C., throwing down hard with the total power of the state. Shock and awe to get to the bottom of this. I think we didn't have the 60 Minutes interview. 60 Minutes interview he gave during that same time. That was a few days after the event uh, at the Capitol. He said, we're going to do it by shock and awe. So you had the fourth power of the state. On our side of the football, uh, you had Julie Kelly, right? Julie Kelly gets inspired, <laughs> starts doing this incredible reporting. But you know what? If I had to go the whole state apparatus and Julie Kelly, I think I'm going to line up on Julie <laughs> Kelly's side of the football. It's a tough. It's a tough broad from Chicago, man. You can't. She and Liz Yor, they're they're my girls. Julie, tell us so. Yes. Go through the rest of the timeline, but then I want you to address specifically Sherwin and what happened immediately afterwards with the, the power of the state. Yeah. So that press conference is just enraging to watch now. Now think about this, Steve. So that press conference is January twelfth, right? So six days after the event, who has been arrested for planting those pipe bombs? No one. We are here 11 months later. No one has been arrested for planting alleged pipe bombs outside of the headquarters of the Republican National Committee and Democratic National Committee, which is located a few blocks east of the Capitol grounds. That news is what prompted the initial evacuations that day. And those pipe bombs were located mysteriously by a woman who, by the way, works for the federal government. Surprise, surprise. Um, she found them on, going uh, on her way to do her laundry, reported it to a security guard at the RNC headquarters. They notified Capitol Police and D.C. Metro Police. Um, and so but still here we are 11 months later. No one has been not only charged, no one's been identified with uh, that. So that is a very another suspicious angle about what happened that day. Michael Sherwin 
in the 60 Minutes interview, and you could see how excited and energized he was about what he called an unprecedented investigation, the DOJ's biggest investigation in its history. Attorney General Merrick Garland has said that repeatedly. But what he said in the 60 Minutes interview, what this would be a shock and awe campaign that the FBI was rounding up 100 people before January 20th as a deterrence to intimidate and bully Americans out of going to Washington, D.C. on Inauguration Day to protest the swearing-in of Joe Biden. Think about that. He admitted that publicly. So the first 100 or so arrests were not to bring justice, were not to deter crimes. It was to silence political dissent in this country. And that is still what this DOJ has been doing for the past 11 months. Yeah, I don't remember him on uh, in in sixteen. I don't remember him in early seventeen arresting all the people that came. The city was out of control. Right. The city was an armed camp in 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 January of seventeen for Donald Trump. I don't remember any of that happening. No, nope, don't remember that. I also um, I don't remember, and we begged for it on this show when they burned down this country in June and July of of twenty twenty. You know, in, in Portland, in Chicago, in Seattle, and throughout the nation, in New York City, we said, where, where, where are the tasks in D.C., Washington, around the president had to be taken down to the bunker, right. where, you know, right outside, right outside St. John's, St. John's Church defaced the president's church. Right. Now, where, where was the task force? Where was this organized effort? You know where it was? Sitting and watching, because that's what they wanted to do. Okay, sitting That's and watching. Exactly if you don't think we're going to, by the way, if you don't think we're going to clean out all this mess, you are sadly mistaken. That is the purpose of this exercise, okay? The purpose of this exercise is accountability, and it will happen. Julie, so tell, walk us through the rest of the day and then and then the roundup. I want to get to the scale of what these guys did besides just pre-20th. So, so walk us through the rest of the day, just the timeline. Okay, so to back up, uh, Trump's speech wraps up around 1.10. At this time, the joint session of Congress is convening at 1 o'clock. Um, and so that's happening in the House, in the House chambers. Um, and this is where the debate will begin. Now, you have two groups of people, Steve. You have people who are already at the Capitol grounds. Um, you had members of the Proud Boys and FBI informants, as we now know for sure, in, infiltrated in that group, who had met at the Washington Monument around 10 o'clock. There was a big group of them. And they had are, they were already at the Capitol grounds. And then you have you know, tens of thousands of Trump supporters who are finishing up listening to Trump's speech, and they start walking down Constitution to headed towards Capitol Hill. By the time, so the first breach of the Capitol grounds. Now the entire just, Capitol uh, grounds. Julie, 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 hang on. I just want to make sure one thing. I just want to make sure one very important the timeline. Trump is still speaking. He gets up at noon. He speaks and he's, he's he speaks to one ten at one o'clock precisely. Mike Pence's social media people tweet out the Mike Pence letter that says, "Hey, this ain't happening, right? right. Uh, I'm not doing anything. I don't think I have the power, authority, et cetera, et cetera." That letter is highly controversial, right? But that gets tweeted out at one o'clock, correct? Right. It's exactly right. So. Let's let's drill down on this timeline, okay? So you have between 12.45 and 1.15. So this is a 30-minute crucial segment. Trump is still speaking. You have the first breach of the Capitol line by Ryan Samsell at about 12.55 that day. 
Ray Epps, and we could talk a little bit about him, whispers in, Ray, uh, in Ryan Samsel's ear. He confronts Capitol Police, a thin line with bike racks there. They overrun the police, knock a few over, and then run up the steps towards the west side of the Capitol building. Around 12.50, this is when the news of the pipe bombs is released. So around 12.50, the pipe bombs are identified this prompts the first evacuation of certain areas of um, the Capitol complex. You have uh, House members who are tweeting out, we're being evacuated because of this pipe bomb. And then at one o'clock, you have the joint session convened. You have the release of the Mike Pence letter that says, no, I'm not going to do this. I don't have constitutional authority. The session convenes. And at 110, you have the president um, finishing up his speech. His supporters, some of them already had left the speech, and they are starting to walk towards uh, Capitol Ground. So that is the crucial 30 minutes between around 1245 and 1.15 about what's happening. And this is setting the stage now for the armed insurrection. Okay, so then then walk us through the the, the walk us through Sherwin's efforts. What what happens? And I also want to get to you just dropped a bombshell. I mean, I know it's not for you, but for people just doing it, you said, oh, the Proud Boys and their FBI informants, they meet yeah. up. I want to ask about this. When you say FBI informants, I know Darren Beatty's said this. He's going to deep investigation about mm -hmm. the Michigan situation. But when you say FBI informants or maybe federal officers or whatever, what are you talking about? Do you actually have proof that these organizations were, were infiltrated by the FBI? And if so, why is Mike Sherwin, why aren't they coming out and tell us about that? Why aren't they tell us that, hey, federal authorities actually knew what was going on and had a control and things weren't going to get out of control? Julie Kelly. Well, let's talk about Michael Sherwin, what he was doing that day. He reportedly in an interview was dressed in plain clothes in jogging apparel, apparently, and was on the ground in Capitol, in Capitol Hill, on the, in the Capitol that day, just walking around, trying, observing to see what protesters were doing. Now, why was he on the ground? Why wasn't he at his office paying attention to what was happening? What was he doing there? What, he was just blending in the crowd, one of the most powerful prosecutors in the country. Um, and so, but we do know from reporting that has been confirmed by the New York Times, who has seen documents about this, that at least two FBI informants, and we could suspect two, there are many more, were infiltrated with the Proud Boys that day, were communicating with their FBI handlers from the ground. And they talk about the breach that happened around 1255 that day with Ryan Samsel, with Ray Epps right there. Ray Epps is the man who is also a suspected uh, could be some FBI asset. He was very involved in getting people to the Capitol uh, that day and was right behind the first line that was breached. And so we still don't know a lot about what he was doing. He still has not been charged. So we know for a fact that there were FBI informants because New York Times has reported it. We also know from other reporting that there were uh, FBI assets infiltrated with the three percenters and I believe the Oath Keepers too. So this is all going to be coming out. We could talk about the Whitmer case and how that all ties in. But uh, we're, we're it has been we're, by the Hang on, we're taking a short commercial break. We're returned. Julie Kelly has done the pick and shovel work on 6 January, and she's only getting started. We're going to return in the war room with Julie Kelly from American Greatness on the special report, 6 January, The Truth.
Roseanne Boyland was 34 when she died at the Capitol on January 6th. Three days later, I learned she was from my hometown. From MSNBC, I'm Ayman Mohideen, and this is American Radical, the story of how one woman became a foot soldier in one of the most dangerous movements in America. It happened so quickly, going from being a totally apolitical person to dying for Trump. American Radical, a new MSNBC original podcast, coming tomorrow. Dying for Trump or killed or murdered as a protester. So MSNBC, we're going to, and let's have a poker term. We're going to see you and we're going to raise you. And uh, that, by the way, that's a commercial for their their big special tomorrow. Make sure MSNBC, don't say anything you're not prepared to eat. Okay. Because I think. Julie Kelly is going to spoon feed you the truth. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad they're doing this special. I'm so glad they're doing it. They're, they're making her a victim uh, in, in service of President Trump. Right. Julie Kelly is going to get you the facts, right? Irrefutable facts of what happened to her. And you'll see who she's the victim of. Okay. You'll see the victim. So make sure MSNBC and you're special and you've been hyping this all week. Don't say anything you're not prepared to eat. Because <laughs> Julie Kelly is going to get ready to spoon feed you with a shovel. Okay? Julie Kelly, continue on with uh, with your with your analysis of uh, of Sherwin and what happened. And also I would gotta get to Michigan. You said FBI informants, government informants, FBI agents, federal agents. Tell us about that. So we're just at the tip of the iceberg uh, at learning about uh, the FBI's involvement. I think Darren Beatty at Revolver.News has raised really good questions because here's the question now, Steve. Not so much who's being charged, but who has not been charged. So to Darren's point, uh, as he started reporting over the summer, why has person one in every single, we're on now the sixth superseding indictment for the Oath Keepers. Why is person one, Stuart Rhodes, still now, 11 months later, not charged with anything related to conspiracy? Uh, Why is person one in the Proud Boys conspiracy, Enrico Terrio, why has he not been charged? Um, And so now the question is, all these people who we saw at the Capitol, all the people infiltrated with the Proud Boys wearing orange neon caps, very uh, distinctive, so they could stand out in the crowd, Why have they not been charged? And so there are a lot of questions. People who were on original lists, like Ray Epps, who then disappeared off of most wanted lists. Um, And so those are the questions now. And now is there more court filings? There was just a court filing a month ago by an attorney, uh, a defense attorney, who said we now know at least one FBI agent was involved in her client's case. So we're learning, we're going to learn a lot more about this, but this backs all the way up to, and we'll talk about this real quick because I do want to get to Roseanne Boylan and then the detainees. This goes back to the spring of 2020 when the FBI opened up what's called Operation Cold Snap. The premise for that was to infiltrate militia groups, the FBI to infiltrate militia groups to make sure that they were not going to organize or orchestrate any violence at lockdown rallies. This was the pretext, the premise to set up the FBI concocted kidnapping plot against Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. So this started. Okay, ho, 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 ho. Well, well, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. 
what what do you mean by that? What do you mean by the, the whole thing of the FBI and, and 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 that it's an FBI inspired? Back that up. So right now, there are as many FBI agents and informants involved in the Whitmer kidnapping plot as there are defendants. There is an extensive uh, review, and I urge people to read this report by BuzzFeed News. I know it's not one of our favorites, but this piece is mind-blowing, and it details the FBI's leading role in putting together this kidnapping plot, um, taking people off social media, you know, young men who are not in the best financial position, which, of course, we know the FBI has a long history of doing this. And what BuzzFeed reports is mind-blowing, but the reporters even acknowledge that but for the FBI's crucial involvement in this plot, there's a question whether it would have been conceived or even attempted to be executed at all. You have leading FBI agents and informants who are organizing conferences the FBI is paying for a national militia conference that is organized by a, a felon, but longtime FBI asset, drawing people to this convention in June of 2020. Um, they are organizing and paying for surveillance trips uh, so they can get all of this photographic evidence of the alleged defendants and then set these guys up. They're arrested for allegedly trying to buy explosives from an FBI undercover agent. And when does this happen, Steve? When does the news of the Whitmer kidnapping plot, when is that uh, announced? October 8th, 2020, in the crucial swing state of Michigan, as early voting is underway. So you have this plot tied to right-wing militias, allegedly uh, loyal to Donald Trump, Gretchen Whitmer gives this tearful, fearful press conference. Uh, Joe Biden issues a statement blaming Donald Trump for this Whitmer kidnapping plot. Well, it's all falling apart. The lead agent has been fired and removed from the case because he uh, physically attacked his wife. Two other FBI agents are on text messages trying to urge informants to break the law. And in one case, get this concoct a plot to assassinate the Virginia governor, Ralph Northam. This stuff is so, is so wild, but this, is all, this was all orchestrated by the FBI. And here's the kicker. The lead, the head of the FBI's Detroit field office, after the Whitmer caper is released, after it's announced and the arrests are made and the charges are, are uh, announced, he leaves a week later, is appointed to head up the DC FBI field office. So he left from Michigan and on October 13th is, is appointed FBI field director for DC, which of course is the FBI office with the uh, Michael Sherwin press conference, Stephen D. Antuano, uh, and he is overseeing the FBI field office leading up to let me, let me, January 6th. Let me, let me, let me ask you, um, um, on, on this topic, BuzzFeed comes out with a story that 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 explodes all this too, right? BuzzFeed, and they yeah. have a woman oh, who does did. all this analysis, and 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 it is a fabulous piece. It kind of it mirrors a lot of Julie Kelly's. You know, Julie Kelly's never going to get lauded by MSNBC, but there were, and she was on Chris. She did did the rounds for a day. She was on Chris Hayes, and Chris Hayes looks in the camera and says, "Hey, if you look at your reporting, there's some problems here." This is Chris Hayes, you know, the Rachel Maddow's mini me. Right. And I said right right there, I was watching it with the team here, and I said, 
you're never going to see her again. <laughs> you're, you're never oh. going to hear another word about Michigan. And it went into the memory hole right sure after did. BuzzFeed did it. They explained. So you have not heard any Michigan in October of 2020 was 24 hours a day, right? Yeah. 24 hours a day. This plot to assassinate, to, cap, to kidnap Whitmer because she was going to be the nominee next time. You know, she's got president. She was the shortlist. She, they chose Kamala right. Harris over That's her. Right. She was shortlist for AP. There's not anybody bigger. She, she's the queen of mean on the on the on the lockdowns. I mean, she's the tip of the. She was Gavin Newsom was was wandering around and Whitmer was the person. So this thing couldn't have been any bigger. When BuzzFeed did the piece that tied a lot of this together, and Chris Hayes is sitting there going, you know, this is kind of problematic, I think he said, right? I told everybody, I said, this is the last time you will ever hear about Michigan. <laughs> they will right. never, ever mention it. Julie, has it gone into the memory hole because of that, because of the reporting of, a, of, of really a left-wing site? It absolutely has because it, how closely it mirrored what happened on January 6th and all of the different ties um, that could obviously make someone believe and justifiably so that the FBI played a central role as agitators in infiltrating these groups leading up to and prompting behavior on January 6th. You even had the pro one of the prosecutors, one man has already pleaded guilty to um, conspiracy for kidnapping. The prosecutor in his sentencing memo ties this to January 6th. But here, it, it's important for people to know this too. This trial was supposed to start in November of last month. The defense counsel for these defendants went to the judge, asked for a 90-day delay because they are investigating the behavior of these FBI agents and informants. That trial now has been pushed back until March. It will be interesting to see. Now, we're going to have this Whitmer trial as a backdrop to the first trials of the January 6th defendants. So we'll see what kind of media coverage we got out of the Whitmer trial. Um, I suspect not very much, but I will definitely be there covering it. And also the, the, the um, I, I want to get to also 10 December. I think there's another what uh, 10 December. Let's get to, let's get to, 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 to Boylan for, for a second before he loses break. Tell us about okay. what you're working on Boylan. And I take it your take on things is going to be a little different than MSNBC's. <laughs> well, here's what I think. That is proving our point, that the questions about what happened to Roseanne Boyland are, are emerging. Uh, she was, the DC uh, coroner announced that she had died of a drug overdose. That clearly is not true. She took Adderall. She would have to take 20 something times the normal dose to have overdosed. She was fine all day. You could see her having a good time. She's with her friend um, from uh, Georgia. They had driven up there together. They end up near this tunnel this lower West Terrace tunnel where the police are assaulting, uh, attacking, beating, macing, uh, and uh, abusing protesters. Hold it. Hold so, it. Hold it. Whoa, whoa. Slow ahead. down. Slow down. Slow down. And when you, th those are big assertions. When you say the police are beating, to, to, you know, pummeling, attacking, how do you know that? And how can you back that up? So um, not just from footage that has already been released, there is in Joe McBride, and I know you've had him on a show, and I wrote about this at American Greatness, amgreatness.com. He saw three hours of surveillance video that this is the surveillance video the DOJ is trying to keep concealed from the public. He watched a three hour segment of that, of what happened inside that tunnel. What he describes as police brutality, and this is how he uh, designates it, uh, that would, if, we're, if 
known to the public and had been known at the time would have resulted in massive protests, calls for investigation into what these police officers were doing. Uh, there's one slice that he describes of police, a supervisor who is beating in the face repeatedly with his fists and with a collapsible baton, not a baton that is supposed to be used against humans, a baton that's supposed to be used to break windows. Okay, bashing but, okay, but fine, face. fine. But if that's happened, if that, hang on, but whoa, 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 but hang on. If that, let's say, let's a purpose of discussion say it happened. Where, why are those people not come forward and said, hey, I got punched in the face. I got two black eyes and a, and a smashed nose. Where, where are those people that get beat up? Well, we might hear from them soon. Um, but I think because they're terrified and because uh, a, a lot of those people inside that tunnel were charged. You have five or six men who were fighting with police, trying to get them to stop beating protesters, including Roseanne Boylan, um, who now are sitting in the D.C. gulag, who have been there for months awaiting trial and denied bail. So they don't want the public to know or hear about what happened inside that tunnel. Um, but it, they can't prolong it okay. forever. Julie, hang on a second. We're taking a short break and we come back. Uh, I just want to make sure, Julie, uh, Joe McBride, the reason he would have had access to the tape, he's one of the defense lawyers, right? That's why he got access to uh, to see that. And and, right. and you guys have made a big effort, real quick, you've made a big effort to get the release of that three hours. You want everybody to see that three hours, correct? Yes, and so is the Press Coalition. 16 news organizations want to see it too. Yeah. There's 14,000 hours of footage. We've seen very, very, very little, just selected. Short commercial break. Julie Kelly, American greatness, and she is great. Going to join us on the other side in the war room. us, censors us, deplatforms us. Conservatives have been helpless to do anything about it until now. Join Getter, the social media platform that supports free speech and opposes cancel culture. On Getter, you can express your political beliefs without fear of Silicon Valley liberals coming after you. Getter is led by former Trump advisor and War Room co-host Jason Miller, who saw what big tech did to President Trump and decided to fight back. Getter is the fastest growing social media platform in history with 2 million users, including prominent conservatives like Mike Pompeo, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and Steve Bannon. Join Getter. It's in the App Store, the Google Play Store, and at Getter.com. Longer posts, longer videos, sharper and clearer pictures. And unlike the Silicon Valley oligarchs, Getter will never sell your data. Send a message today. Join Getter. It's time to cancel cancel culture. It's the first Saturday in December. It's the 4th of December, the year of our Lord, 2021. We would appreciate it in all of your holiday shopping. If you would consider going to MyPillow.com, promo code WARROOM. We've got, I think there's over 600 products for sale. You've got the sheets, the pillows, the towels, and these are monumental sales. Historic sales on the towels. You've got a 10-year price on the classic pillow set as low as $19.98, normally $69.98. The towels are $39.99, normally $109.99, $110, now $39 or $40. Across the board, you buy a geezer sheet going free. You've got the blankets. You've got the pillows for the kids. These biblical pillows are amazing. You want to get them for your kids and grandkids. you got the historical pillows. Remember. If you buy it from Mike Lindell, you're going to get it from Mike Lindell. Pete Buttigieg is not going to be in your life. There's no logistics problems when it gets to uh, MyPillow. So go to MyPillow.com today. We really appreciate you considering it 
um, for your holiday shopping. You're supporting the fight for liberty here. Your humble servants at the Worm Apparatus, of course, the armor-piercing shell that is Mike Lindell and the entire manufacturing team family up at uh, MyPillow.com. Uh, we got the great Julie Kelly on. I want to tell the audience, t t today's Vigano and the Anti-Globus Alliance and now the 6th January, this is the first. We I want to do specials to kind of give some uh, velocity to it, but we're going to cover this in detail on all the shows and then other specials coming up. These topics are so important. We've got to get to the bottom. Two, and they are inextricably linked, as we will get to later. But I got some housekeeping I got to do here with you. Uh, uh, FBI Director Ray, who's a Chris Christie guy. That's a Chris. We blame that on Chris Christie. And Garland, Merrick Garland, the, the former judge who gets crushed every day, right? Remember, I take pride in this. He ain't on the Supreme Court. And one of the reasons is Stephen K. Bannon putting my shoulder will to assist President Trump in his final hundred days to defeat Hillary Clinton. Merrick Garland is not a permanent important. But you don't think every night before I fall asleep, I thank God that I was part of that for the specific reason is Merrick Garland. I know your grand dunes watch this. You're not on the Supreme Court and I'm a small, small part of it. But boy, do I take pride in that. Right. You're a disaster and a disgrace. He's gone up to and, and, and Brother Massey on Kentucky has lit him up and others, too. Have Ray and Garland uh, have testified many times. Have they perjured themselves or had they slipped out of these questions? Julie Kelly. Well, I think they've slipped out of their questions related to FBI's involvement in January 6th. Of course, Merrick Garland got in a lot of trouble for his doublespeak and possibly perjuring himself related to uh, the targeting of parents at school board meetings. And Senator Cotton confronted him, said he should resign. He's a disgrace. Uh, and so he's under yeah. some fire finally from Republicans. But yeah. I don't know what they, yeah. they've been very vague about the FBI's role in January 6th. Let me, let me, and just, and DOJ, and they're not, let me just say, Ray and Garland, you should take your, have your scheduler, take your, take your pad out. I think it's 8 November. I think the election is 8 November. This, uh, this coming year, 2022, you should write that down because uh, your life is going to change on that day. Okay. In 2023 with a new, the new house. Oh no, we're going to win this. We're going to win a big 100 seats, 100 years. By the way, a couple of announcements real quickly. I want to get because I got to get back to Julie. I want to get in Politico today. They had an article about uh, Illinois and about the uh, freshman uh, congressman, Republican woman. Boom. They're going to, uh, they're going to redistrict her out and they're proud of it. They're playing smash mouth. As they should. We got no problem with that. We have to play smash mouth in these districts and in the, in the, in the ones we have. Also, Ray Dalio gets lit up by Dave McCormick, who's thinking of running for the Senate. Why? Because of the war room and because of Jack Posobiec to say, hey, Ray Dalio's a disgrace about his being in business with the Chinese Communist Party. There's no chance you can run for the Senate until you throw Ray Dalio under the bus in disgrace. You only got a couple of minutes, Julie. I want to go back and focus on this MSNBC special tomorrow. It's the reason we want to have you on today. They're going to try to make Boylan. Uh, what are they going to try to do with Miss Boylan tomorrow, uh, Julie? They are going to Ashley Babbitt her. And this actually confirms our suspicions about her, the circumstances of her death. So what they're going to do as more questions are raised about what happened to her before this video was released, as her family's hiring an attorney to investigate exactly what happened to her, including look at the autopsy that said she died of an overdose. So they're going to Ashley Babbitt her, which means they are going to vilify and demonize her to the point that people will say, well, she deserved 
what happened to her, which is exactly what you have Democrats in the media saying about Ashley Babbitt and millions of Americans, the disgusting comments I see whenever I post something about what happened to Ashley Babbitt. They're going to do the same to Roseanne Boylan because they know what happened to her. She did not die of a drug overdose. Not only not only was she probably killed by police, her body was dragged through that tunnel by Officer Ginnell, Sergeant Ginnell, remember one of the celebrity cops? Dragged through that tunnel, he met up with Officer Harry Dunn, and okay, they okay. waited there till the paramedics right. arrived. And she was okay. already dead. But 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 you're saying you're saying the three the thirty three hours of footage will prove that, correct? Yes. Okay, and yes. and what's the fight? We got a minute. What's the fight for to get this three hours of footage out? December tenth is when they make a decision. Well, December 10th is when, now the Press Coalition 16 news organizations have joined with Joe McBride representing Ryan Nichols. They want this three-hour slice released. Judge Hogan has asked for a response from DOJ. Uh, that's due on December 10th, and then I assume that Judge Hogan will then make his decision. The Press Coalition has won most of these battles asking for surveillance video, so let's hope that's the case, because once we see what happened inside of that tunnel, it will be mind-blowing. Okay, Julie, how do people get to you? we got about 30 seconds. Walk us through your social media, how to get to all your writings, and people got to keep up. We're going to post them every day up on our site, okay. but how do people get to you about this? So all my work can be found at American Greatness, amgreatness.com. I'm at Twitter, uh, Julie underscore Kelly, too. I also urge people to check out the Patriot Freedom Project, which is raising money to try to help the defendants and their families as, they, as they're being bankrupted and denied bail. So uh, that's where you can... Find all of all of our good yeah. work. Go there. I need you to go to there and check it out. If you so are, are moved, you know, uh, hit them with a donation. If you're so moved, it's your free choice. But we're going to have Cynthia Hughes. She's, I want to call her Saint Cynthia. She's done such an yeah. incredible job of putting her shoulder to the wheel. Yes, just amazing. Cynthia yeah. Hughes on Monday. Julie, you're a rock star. Don't ever quit, ma'am. Love you. I won't. Thank See you. See you Monday at Thanks, 10. Steve.